Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, a man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is March the 18th, 2013, and this is episode 1091 of the Survival Podcast. And it's Monday, so you know what we do on Monday? We take your call, not your calls, we take your emails, we take uh, them to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. The formula to get your email considered for a show like this would be to put in the subject line, video for Jack, article for Jack, comment for Jack, question for Jack, and then send your comment, your question, your video, your news link, whatever it is in the subject line. If you're asking a question or making a comment, uh, please make it direct and quick and fast with one or two sentences at the top of the email, and then you can give me as much detail as you want after that. That will help me get through my screening process quicker, and frankly, it'll make it more likely that it'll actually use your... Uh, email on the air in a show like this. Now, I do get hundreds of these a week. It's not an exaggeration. I actually get hundreds a day, so I get probably one or two thousand-ish a week. So when I cover eight to ten on a Monday show, obviously I can't get them all on. I try to get when I get something from a bunch of people or something I think is really important, I try to make sure it gets on the air. Before we get into your emails, though, let's go ahead and uh, take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is HarvestEating.com, run by the illustrious chef Keith Snow, who will teach you to cook seasonally and locally and how to make cooking into a life skill. And life skills, folks, are survival skills. I'll tell you what, live off MREs for six months like I did in Honduras, and you start to get creative with your cooking. And, hey, you're growing all that wonderful stuff that Jack tells you about, some stuff you'll never see in a store. It comes out of your garden. What are you going to do with it? Trust me, get over to uh, HarvestEating.com. You'll probably find something you can do with it to make it into delicious meals that your family will enjoy and chef keith is also a prepper so he cooks with the mindset of being sustainable and self-sufficient he also has some really cool uh spices and seasoning mixes my uh my favorites are his grilled chicken his montreal steak and the northern italian all three of those are just amazing better than anything i can buy in a store i still stay well stocked up in them and you should too and he's a podcaster so uh when you get over to his website, make sure you check out his podcast, become a subscriber to it. It's definitely worth giving it a listen. Uh, next up today, Western Botanicals. You know, if I am kind of achy and sore after I'm done working in the garden, uh, I don't take aspirin or Tylenol or, you know, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, i.e. Motrin. Uh, all of those things have some side effects. So the least among them would probably be the aspirin, but... That's even not good for us to be taking as a as something just because we're achy and in pain. So is there something you could take if you're kind of sore and achy or you're dealing with any kind of chronic inflammation that is completely benign, won't do you any harm, and will actually help you make you feel better? Yeah, turmeric. How about that turmeric? And, and uh, how did I learn about turmeric? Because my wife had persistent migraines and contacted Western Botanicals and said, what do I do? And they said, well, if you were here, we'd bring you in. You could see the, the, the chiropractor, and we'd go with this. But, you know, we can't do that from here. But what we would suggest is something to try would be turmeric. So we started using turmeric, and it worked for her. It works for me. Um, again, especially just those achy days when you've put in a lot of work and you want something you know is not going to cause any kind of side effects, turmeric. Now, there's literally probably a thousand herbs and herbal preparations of herb available at Western Botanicals. I thought I'd just tell you about one of them today. 
Because I didn't just know to do that. I called up real people at Western Botanicals and said, what the heck do we do? And they give a damn about me and they give a damn about you. So they told me. And they're a great supplier of the highest quality stuff. Everything's either organically grown or wildcrafted. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. And if you don't know what you need, call them up. Real people will help you. I promise you have my word on that. Oh, by the way, how'd you like to get 25% off everything they sell? Well, they have a discount membership. It's 50 bucks a year. And you get 25% off everything. If you use a lot of herbals, it pays for itself. Guess what? If you're a member of my support brigade, you get that membership for free the first year. And if you want to keep it the second year, you get it for half price. How cool is that? So not only an advertiser that supports our show, they're one of the premium discount vendors in the members support brigade. Quick announcement on the members support brigade. We just added tspgear.com to the MSB discount uh, list of vendors. So you now get 10% off all TSP gear. I put out a post about that today, along with three seed companies. Hey, now's the time to be planting, starting seeds, doing all that stuff, getting your seeds for the year um, if you haven't already done so. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to be ordering seeds, hey, check out the three companies that will give you a discount. Two provide 10% off, one gives free shipping. The three companies that do that here uh, are High Mowing Organic Seeds. They give you free shipping. The Victory Seed Company gives you 10% off. And Terroir Seeds gives you 10% off. Between those three, you can find any rare heirloom you're looking for. I can just about guarantee you that. Check them out today. Uh, and you, again, if you are an MSB member, you get those discounts. And you do have to log in. Occasionally, I, I don't understand why people don't get this. I get, how do I get my discounts? I ordered from somebody, and I don't know if they gave me the discount. You, did you use the code? No, then you, you didn't get the discount. They, they'd have no way to know who you are. I would have to give them information that you don't want me sharing with anybody to do that. You log into your account. There's a tab that says benefits. You click on it. You go there. All 40, and there's now 40 discount vendors in the MSB, 40 companies with deals you can't get anywhere else, and they're available 24-7, 365. These are not sales or incentives. You can get those discounts. Just another reason to consider the MSB. And uh, remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty or prior service, and first responders like paramedics, I give you a discount on top of everything else. If you email me before you join the brigade, put service discount in the subject line. My email for all correspondence Jack at the survival podcast.com. Uh, with that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up. I want to now lead off with a story. I must have gotten articles and links to, uh, to, to quite a few sources on this one. And, uh, I decided to see if, uh, RT, who usually does a good job of covering stuff like this, that's Russia today, um, had a story on, storyline on it, and they do, and they have, you know, their, their view of their content is distribute all you want as long as you don't alter it or change it significantly. So, uh, that frees me up to not even have to worry about Creative Commons and anything and just use their, their video piece. So I'm going to play the audio for you in their report on a new kind of tax. Uh, and I always say tax is theft. This is theft. This is flat-out theft of your bank account. Now, it's not your bank account. This is happening in Crete. Remember what I said, though. Over and over and over again, I tell you, the reason we get behind things and fight people like we're doing in Michigan right now that are trying to take a couple pigs and goats away from a lady that's just trying to provide good food for her, for her family is because a fight for liberty is anywhere is a fight for liberty everywhere, right? Well, the, the, the action of tyranny anywhere allows for tyranny to occur everywhere. And what you see happen, happen elsewhere, you better pay attention to because when you say it can't happen here and you really believe it when you say it, that's when the pump is primed for it to happen. The best time for thugs, the best time for criminals, and the best time for politicians to do things 
is when no one thinks they can. It really is. That's that's the time to strike. That's what happened here. Let me play the story, and I'll come back and tell you my thoughts on it. With us 13 minutes past the hour now. Over the weekend, Cypriots rushed to ATMs in a panic over a planned tax on savings accounts as part of a European Union and IMF deal. The so-called rescue plan for the tiny Eurozone country would see a one-time levy on deposits to avoid a national default. In exchange, the EU has promised a 10 billion euro bailout to heal the battered economy there. Under proposed terms of the package, people in Cyprus with less than 100,000 euros in their accounts would have to pay a tax of around 7% of that. Those whose savings are greater would be hit up with a 10% tax. It's the first such, first such move where private depositors would be forced to sacrifice their money to foot the bill. Bailout conditions have been deeply criticized. They're expected to hit mainly the poor people and pensioners the hardest. Moreover, fears are mounting over the intense outflow of cash from the country. People's anger has caused the parliamentary vote on the deal to be delayed until today. Dr. Helen Samuel Lee from the leading British think tank, the Bruges Group, thinks the tiny island state is feeling blackmailed and is uncomfortable under the EU umbrella. They will have to try and make it go ahead because they really do desperately need the bailout money unless, of course, uh, they do the, the alternative, which is actually drop out of the euro and, uh, and probably default at some point, which will not necessarily be the worst thing that can happen. But that doesn't seem to appeal to any of the governments in question. I mean, we've had this problem with Greece and we've had this problem with other countries. That is how it's all been going on about the, um, about the bailouts, uh, the way things have gone with Greece is that um, you know these these bailouts um, happen and they try to introduce austerity and it never works and then after a while there is another uh, request for another bailout so um, whether it will actually work or whether Cyprus will erupt into riots is um, something we shall see in the next few days okay so let me make sure you got the gist of this the the, the Jack Spierko you know 30 second no bullshit version What they basically said is if any, if you have a bank account in Crete, in order for the rest of the EU to run in and dump a few billion in, they're going to have to put up some of their own money. And the way Crete's going to get this money is simply anybody with money in a bank in Crete, they're just going to take some. You get that? It's a tax. It's a property tax on, and this time the property is your money itself. So they're going to take about 7% from you if you have under $100,000 in there or 100,000 euros in the bank. And if you have more than that, they're going to take like 9 point something percent from you. Just take it. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's say that this was happening here, just to make it real for you. And let's say that you believed in the FDI insurance concept and you think the best place for your cash money is a good old-fashioned United States of America bank. And the United States government gets into some trouble and says, we need to raise some revenue. They never call it taxes, right? It's a revenue. We need to find some revenue. You know how the, the Republicans right now are like, we do not want to raise taxes. We're interested in closing loopholes and, and, and finding revenue. Uh, that's the way of saying the Republicans also want to raise taxes. They just want to do it differently than Democrats. But let's say that like all the ways that they've thought of to get money just aren't working anymore. You know, you can only tax income so much if the economy's dying and you keep taxing it and it keeps dying. It's, it's a perpetual uh, ant, ant trap, right? 
If you're familiar, we talk about the ants here a lot. There's a little creature, some people call them doodlebugs, some people call them antlions. They make a little nest in real sandy soil. And it's like a little funnel, and when an ant goes in there and they try to get out, the, the faster and harder they run, the more the walls cave in and they fall down to this little nymph creature in the bottom that looks like some evil thing from some weird alien planet. If you ever dig one up, they really are kind of wicked-looking little things. And as the ant runs, he keeps getting dirt spit at him, and finally he goes down in the jaws of the antlion grab him, and the ant's dead. Okay. Well, when you're taxing income in a dying economy, it works like that. No matter how much you tax, you just kill the economy. So you run out of ways to get money. So you think the only way to get money is I can't tax commerce and income is I got to tax property because it's static. And then, you know, if, you, if you've already taxed the property heavily or the local authorities have a authority over the, the property, the true real property, then you say we got to tax property we have visibility into and we can get a fixed, fixed bead on. So you say, well, just tax money. So if you've worked your ass off and saved money, even in this, this you know, Crete's falling apart just like, uh, just like Greece is, and you say, well, at least I have some money because I've worked hard and saved and been irresponsible, the government just comes in and takes up. So if that was happening here, it would be like, let's say you did that, and you had $100,000 sitting in a bank, okay? And then the government just says, yeah, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take $7,000 of it. You go, What? You know, don't worry, you'll have to fill out paperwork or, or any kind of stuff like that. We're just going to take it. It's, it's, it's cool. Your bank will handle it all for you. We'll send you a form in the mail uh, that lets you know that it happened. Your obligations, don't worry about it. It'll be easy. With no guarantee they won't come back and do it again later, next year, next month, next who knows when. So you had $100,000 in the bank. Now you have $93,000. What's that actually sound like? What what does that sound like that they do in this country every single stinking day of the year? The inflation tax, right? I mean, it's, that's pretty much the way inflation works. If we had 5% inflation over a year. You have $100,000 in the bank. Now you have $100,000. It's worth $95,000, the same net effect. But in this case, you have both inflation and direct theft going on. You think it can't happen here? You don't think they'll ever do something like that? Now, does that mean run out and take your money out of the bank right now? No. It does mean pay attention and watch as the U.S. implements capital controls, which we're doing. This is another example of a capital control. Because you might not spend the money properly or because you might decide to take the money outside of our nation. We'll take it before you can leave. And what does this cost? What did I just say not to do? What do you think is going on in Crete right now? You think everybody's just like, oh, it's okay, I'll just leave my money in the bank until they figure out how to do this. <laughs> no. You know what they're doing? They're running on the banks. They're pulling. So this little plan is going to backfire heavily because a lot of that money won't be there. But my understanding is a lot of that money was held captive and not allowed to be pulled out. We'll have to see how this plays out. But it's just another example of what a government in the throes of economic collapse will do. I've not actually seen this little tactic before, but don't think that the ass clowns in D.C. aren't looking at this going, hmm, how could we do that? And you know how we might be able to do that in this country? We might just say, you know what, if we do that, they'll burn D.C. to the ground. People are not going to. So we got to figure out a way with this American audience who has a, 
a talent for you know pulling ears off of people when they're pissed off enough to uh to, to to make them think this is in their best interest so maybe what we'll do is we'll do the same thing this way we'll go after the retirement accounts but we won't take the money away we'll just make them put a certain amount of their money into government bonds that funds the turnover of the debt basically it's the same thing because that money is no longer free for other investments that would pay better and basically we're controlling the capital and holding it within the US domestic economy at the government level that way the government can spend it and decide whether it goes to Chevy or Ford, not the investor who decides whether to invest in Chevy or Ford. Gee, who told you that would happen? Oh, that crazy Jack Spirico guy, that's right. That's just, see, this is the thing that people miss out on. You look at what's going on elsewhere in the world and you say it can't happen here, and then you realize there's already a plan in place to make it happen. There's just a subtle difference in the way that it's done. And don't think they won't just outright do this too, because the first plan isn't going to work. Is this This is what you have to realize. This is I, I want you to get this in your head now. Again, I believe that this nation is in for an economic boom. A huge recovery, but a fake one. It will be built on real and fake entities, and the real entities, like the production of cheap energy, will be used to father and grandfather an infinite generation of new derivatives and fake economy that will send us into the stratosphere of recovery and everybody will be in bliss. And when everybody tells you that it's all perfect and all of this stuff is behind us, look out because that's about when it's going to slam to the ground harder than it ever has before. What I want you to realize, though, is when it does, when the day of economic reckoning presents itself to the powers that be, You can bet that they will do everything that you've seen any other government do in this situation and more. Here's why. They have more power, they have more force, and they have more to lose than any other nation that's ever gone through this in the history of the world. They have the ability to do it and the incentive to do it. When you want to convict somebody of murder in a court of law, there's three big things that you have to, pr to prove. You have to prove that they have motive opportunity, and that the crime happened beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, I submit to you that this government, beyond a reasonable doubt, has the motive and the opportunity to steal the wealth of the people in an attempt to save its failed system. You have to judge for yourself whether or not you think that's true. Again, I think we have some real time here. I think that um, the, the, the shale oil, shale gas boom is just a part of, of why you're going to see this, this, this cycle ramp back up. I think that the actions taken by the Federal Reserve are infinitely dangerous, but short-term, and when I say short-term, two, five, seven years, uh, are going to be dramatically effective in doing what they wanted to do. But rest assured, I don't think any of them really think that they can make this last forever. I think that the oligarchs, I think that the financial elite have an exit strategy in place. And when they pull out, and leave the people that are in power in government with their ass in the wind because they're the puppets. When the puppet master leaves the puppet behind, the problem is the puppet's not actually a puppet. He's a thinking entity with a desire to maintain control and power. We have two houses of government, two, 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 uh, two parties in the system that are basically conducting themselves like the new mafia. The freaking Democrats and the Republicans are the new world mafia. And that New World Mafia is going to be dead broke, and you are going to be the only source left to save what they believe they're entitled to. Be prepared. 
That's just one more reason to be prepared. All right, on the uh, concept of people being dead broke and doing stupid shit even when they're dead broke that they really can't afford to do, what about this? What if there was a city that was already functionally bankrupt, okay? They'd already had to go into receivership. They're, they're already dead broke on their ass. They're in the center of a state that actually has two fairly large cities, but they're more like a big small town. And, you know, they, they've got kind of this history of, of having some self-reliance and self, self-sufficiency there and being a big state for gardening and things like that. So in this small town, big city, you start to have some urban, uh, sprawl and you also have to start to have some urban decay. So let's say a, a active group goes in and says, I know what we'll do. We'll start going into the bad parts of the community. And we'll lease land. We won't even ask for it for free. We'll, we'll give this bankrupt city money. We'll spend money with them and we'll lease an area for community garden. And we'll start planting a community garden, growing food, and helping to get rid of food deserts and provide food sovereignty for the people of this community and work hard to better that community. And let's say that that state was so stupid that one power-hungry power bureaucrat decided... You know what? There's still crime in that area. It's the garden's fault. And without any notice and in clear violation of the lease, we'll just bulldoze it. And then when people show up to our meetings to tell us they don't like it, we'll just throw them out. That couldn't happen, could it? I mean, with all that we just heard about going on in Michigan, is this Michigan? No. Bankrupt City, Detroit? No. Stockton, California? No. Bankrupt City Jack told you about that was headed to bankruptcy two years ago, and then they went into receivership for, for a city's bankruptcy. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I'm about to play a little news clip for you, and you can hear the power-hungry bureaucrat running her mouth right at the beginning. And then we'll come back and talk about it a bit. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have you removed. I'll have you removed. I'll have you removed. The Harrisburg City Council president reacting to angry residents upset that she had their community garden bulldozed. It's tonight's top story. Hard to believe the uproar was all about a community garden. And hard to believe that garden is being blamed for criminal activity. But News 8 was in council chambers tonight when it all went down. Last week, at the behest of City Council President Wanda Williams, uh, the city used its resources, our resources, to bulldoze the garden. The group leasing garden space at North 6th and Curtin Streets in Harrisburg was stunned. It says Council President Wanda Williams gave the order and had their garden destroyed. The organization did not maintain the garden. Not so, says the nonprofit group Green Urban Initiative. Towards the end of the summer, I was there every other day, picking up trash, pulling weeds. But Williams claims the garden was out of control. Individuals engaging in sexual acts as well as using the area as a bathroom facility and a buffer or place for criminals to hide their wares. At least one neighbor agrees. Lettuce or lives, beets or beat down. But when the gardeners tried to answer Williams' prepared statement on the subject, first came the threat. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have you removed. I'll have you removed. I'll have you removed. While we are shocked, and hurt at this abuse of power and complete disregard for due process. Then the real thing, they were removed. Kurt, could you please have the patrolman come in, please? Thank you. Thank you. Travesty, an absolute travesty. Gardens don't cause poverty. Gardens cure poverty. 
And I think that the garden itself really became a target for their frustrations about activities that were going on around the garden on different lots and in the community. Some neighbors are upset by Williams' actions as well. I think it was good for the community, and I wanted to get involved, and I will next year at some point. I would love for there to be a garden in the same plot next year. Despite this kind of beating down, we are still committed to the citizens of Harrisburg. The group goes on to say it has three other gardens in the city and enjoys sharing the fruit, vegetables, and flowers with neighbors. It vows to look for another uptown location and have a more positive partnership. Okay, and from what I've read um, about this, I want to add to what you just heard. The organization <clears throat> wasn't being given this this land to work with as a grant. They were leasing it. They were paying money for it. So this was vacant land that the city was collecting no tax dollars on, no tax base, nothing there. It's kind of a crappy neighborhood. This is a city that's dying. It needs revitalization. No one's coming in to buy or do anything with this land. And it was actually generating income for the city and providing food for the people. The people running the city realized, well, there's a lot of crime activity still going on in this place, so the garden did it. There's people out doing drugs and hiding weapons and having sex with prostitutes or whatever. It's the garden's fault. They're using it because, I mean, it's not like, you know, there's no other places around here with like trees where people could hide, like right across the street or what have you. Um, I actually have a street view on Google Maps that I'll include a link today so you can see where this place is and you can see that, gee, it just doesn't look very overgrown to me. You can zoom in on the map and take a look at it and you can see that if somebody's going to uh, to look for a place to hide, well, there's there's plenty of places that they could do that. I mean, it's not like growing freaking beets and lettuce according to the one idiot that testified at this this hearing. Um, are, are going to give, you know, it's not like drug dealers can hide behind a row of beets. I mean, you really have to use your head a little bit for more than what my dad used to say, use your head for more to freaking hat rack. I also just, the, the attitude and the authority complex of this idiot running that council. If the people of Harrisburg don't get rid of these people, it's your own damn fault what happens there. It really is. That's too much thuggery. It's really necessary for you folks to stand up and do something. Um, there's no legal fund or anything. And I think that, like, I get, like, tons of stuff. Like, there's another person with a garden being bulldozed or whatever. And, you know, I know we're working to help these folks in Michigan right now. We can't do it all. I, I can't over-leverage the audience's goodwill. I can't ask them to take up every fight. We pick and choose our battles where we really think we can win. And these folks seem like their solution is, you know what, the hell with you. We'll go somewhere where we're wanted. And this place can go into decay. And I guarantee you, <laughs> the crime rate's not going to go down because they bulldozed the garden. And only a bureaucrat can think this way. And I'll tell you what happened. People in the neighborhood were calling her going, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And they meant the crime. She's like, I got to find something to blame. I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll blame the garden. I'll get one of my, you know, one of my lackeys to come in and come up with some crap. It's either life or lettuce, beets or beat down. You gotta be kidding me. That's our choice. We have to choose between staying alive and growing lettuce. If we grow lettuce, people are gonna be killed. How stupid, how absolutely stupid could a person be? And anybody that believes that, that thinks, well maybe they have a point, you're dumb too. 
I'm sorry. I, I try to like accept everybody's opinion and everybody has validity in what they're saying. But if you think growing lettuce and beets leads to crime, you are a freaking mental midget. You are a moron. I am not interested in your opinion. There's, I, I, I try again. I try to stay open to everybody's opinion. But there's a path that once you go down a certain level, you realize you're dealing with a person that does not have the capacity for logic or believes that it's their role to tell other human beings how they should live. And once I get there with somebody, I'm done. I don't have time to waste on you. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to get people advanced into self-sufficiency, self-reliance. I'm working for food sovereignty everywhere in the world. I don't have time to waste with an idiot that thinks that beats cause people to get beat up. It's... Oh my God, is it? Ah! And it just keeps going, doesn't it? Because we'll have another story just like this very soon. But again, I want you to think about this. Bankrupt city. Bankrupt city. Thugs in control of the council. Bulldoze a garden. No warning. No notice. You know why? Because they knew if they had provided warning or notice that there would have been a, a chance for an, you know, to stop it. Because they had an agreement with these people, clearly. You know what? If you know anybody that lives in Harrisburg, make them aware of this. Get these, you know what? If you live in Harrisburg, get these ass clowns recalled. Get them off your couch. They've already bankrupted your city. Now they're bulldozing beats to prevent people from being beaten up. Really? That's the problem, the garden. It's not like Harrisburg has like this really great crime rate everywhere except where this goes. This is like all the, all the criminals and drug dealers go, you know what guys? This is what we'll do. We'll go to the garden. Well, that's because they'll never find us there. And if the cops come, we'll hide behind lettuce and beets and they won't see us. I, I really wish that the criminal element was that stupid. Here's a clue, Harrisburg City Council. If you're worried about crime, go out and arrest criminals. Don't put down the very people trying to help you fix your problem. Because what happens is they'll go elsewhere. And I'm sure soon we'll hear from these people about a need for social justice programs to help out the people in unfortunate communities when people put in their own money, time, and effort to try to help you. And you sent them packing because you needed a scapegoat and somebody to blame. This is another one of those file this under only in America could something this ridiculous happen. So when you see stuff like I let off with in other countries doing this crap and saying, well, it could never happen here. We're already doing far more moronic things, specifically at the local level. And this is a call for you guys. I don't want to hear any more about the Democrats and Republicans in the federal office. I really don't. I'm bored. And I don't mean you can't tell me. I don't mean don't tell me I'll get angry. I just mean I really don't want to hear it. I just don't because I know it doesn't freaking matter. I know that 80% of the seats are going to go the same way over and over and over and over again, especially in the Senate. But I know... Did anybody with thugs like this at the local level, you could have them all gone in one election cycle. If just one group of people that really want it done to get out and talk to their friends and neighbors can get any group of thugs like this gone and put people in with some damn common sense. That's where to focus your efforts right now, folks, at the local level. Remember my speech if I wanted to save America. That's where it starts. The local town councils, city councils, and county governments. If you're focusing on anything beyond that right now, you're probably wasting your time. Because the biggest atrocities are being committed by townships and counties and cities. Whenever we hear this, it's never, it's, you know, with the exception of Michigan with the, the feral hog thing. It's almost never a state. It's never the federal government. It's always some local thugs mad with power that just shouldn't even have power in the first place. I'll provide links to uh, all the information on this 
amazing story for you in the show notes. Let's go on to something else. This gives me an opportunity to bring up something that happened on Facebook with what happened here. There's crime in the area, and there's a garden, so the garden is responsible for the crime. Let's take a, a leap that's a little more easy to accept that people do every day with a, a Facebook conversation I had with a listener and uh, see how that can happen in our gardens and make us blame the wrong bug villain. So I put up a video about getting rid of your tiller. Not a video, a, a photo that uh, Backwoods Engineer from the uh, forum and the blog uh, made us about getting rid of your tiller, and it spawned a great idea. We're going to run a converted tiller contest. I'm waiting for Paul Wheaton's uh, Kickstarter to end since he's focused on that right now. And then we and Permies together and hopefully Steve Harris, um, who's, who's involved with some, some medical issues right now of his own. And hopefully he'll be back in the fight by then of converting a tiller into something useful and try to get some national exposure around no-till gardening. Anyway, uh, a lot of people took exception to it, especially I think people that are on the Facebook fan page, but don't listen to the show. We actually have quite a few people, I think, that are, you know, just they find it, it's self-sufficiency, it's survival, they join the fan page, they really don't listen to the show, so they're not familiar with the background story that we're saying why tillers are good and things like that. And other people are saying, let's use mulch, and this is what it works. And one guy said, you know, mulch is great, it does all these great things, but you can't use it around newly planted plants because it attracts millions of pill bugs, and then you plant all a bunch of these these, these new, new plant seeds, the seeds come up, and then the, the pill bugs come out and eat them, right? And I just said, there's something out of balance, don't blame the mulch. And then he came back and said, you know, I've heard that claim by Jeff Lawton before, and I don't buy it, and what's out of balance and all. And I was like, I had more time now, and this is what I said. And I, I don't know if he ever responded to me, but I, I think I'm pretty well on here. When he explained more detail, it really came clear what was going on. He said he planted a couple hundred feet of legumes, so that means beans, And that just in one night, you came back out, and they were all just laying over dead. <laughs> and I went, I knew it wasn't the pill bugs. I knew it wasn't. So here's what happened. You pull back the mulch, and there's all these little pill bugs rolling around in there. And you're like, my plants are chewed up. This is what I see. They did it. They didn't do it. Pill bugs are actually a crustacean. They're more closely related to a, a shrimp uh, than they are to an insect. And um, they don't really have a big interest in living foods. They're a decomposer. They're under that wood mulch because there's all this decaying organic matter in there, and they're chewing it up and pooping it out, and they're part of that ecological system that you're trying to build in a no-till heavy mulch garden. They're actually a beneficial for you. Uh, they may occasionally nibble on something that's alive, but not the way he was describing. What he had were cutworms. These are worms that come from various different types of moths that overwinter as pupa in the soil. They emerge as worms in the spring. Uh, and when you have this damage, you look at your plants, and it will always look like this. The plant will just be laying there dead. And a lot of times if you have mulch around, it'll be laying there dead and kind of over, and it almost looks like it just died. But when you pick it up, it'll just come free. It'll look like somebody took scissors or a sharp knife and just cut it right off at the base. That's why they call them cutworms. So he was blaming the insect that was the crustacean instead of an insect that didn't do it because it's what he could see. And cutworms stay down in the soil. They emerge in the evenings. In the nighttime, they do their damage and they go back in. So you, you rarely, rarely see them. When you dig them up, you'll find them as little worms that tend to like roll up in like a spiral pattern, little brown caterpillar-looking worms. And eventually you stop having this damage because they go back into a, a pupa 
And then they and I said they pupate through the winter. They don't. They remain as an egg through the winter. They hatch in the spring. They come out into a caterpillar in the in the early spring. Then they go into a pupa. Then they come out as a moth. So what happens is somebody plants a bunch of beans, and they have mulch around them, and they see the this is interesting lesson about gardening and life here, and and assuming somebody did something they didn't right. So then you plant your beans. And you go out and they're all chopped to the ground, or you put in brand new pepper plants like I just did, and you go out and four of them are. And I know cutworms got the four that, that that they got, and they're just looking they're laying dead. You pick them up, they're not attached to the ground anymore. The roots are in the, the ground, the top of the plants over, and the cutworm got this little piece of stem that he ate. And you say, well, the 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 roly polies, the pill bugs did this. So you pull the mulch way, way, way back, about a foot. You know, you make a foot wide bare soil furrow. And you plant your beans again, and this time they come up, and no damage happens, and they survive. And you say, "Aha! I knew it! They're afraid to come out. They stay in the wood chips, and if the wood chips aren't there, that's proof they did it. Now I know they did it." What's actually happened is, in the time it took for your beans to come up, get killed, pull the mulch back, plant it, and the beans to come up a second time. Your caterpillars have pupated, and they're now getting ready to emerge as moths, so they're no longer doing the damage. That's generally what happens. Now, how do you prevent this? You go out and get yourself a bunch of the little. You want plastic Dixie cups, right? You cut the bottoms off and you make these little collars. And when you put tender plants in or seeds that are going to come up and you're, where you're having cutworm problems, you put one of these little collars over all of them. And then when they get up to where the stem gets woody, they won't do this anymore. So once they're about into their fourth or fifth day of real growth, they got some real, so a couple true sets, such true leaves on them and all. You just go pull all your collars off, and they all funnel back together, and you put them away and use them next year. That's why you want plastic, not paper, for doing this. If you're only doing a few plants, you can do things like save coffee cans and cut the bottoms out, and you know whatever. Uh, but they take up a lot more space that way. Um, so it, to me, it makes sense to use these little collars. That's one way. Because here's the thing about the cutworms: pulling the mulch back won't prevent them from cutting your plants. They they live in soil, so they'll they'll come up in bare soil. They don't care, and they'll they'll still damage your plants. So then you become convinced that it really must be the roly polies, and you get rid of the mulch altogether. I.e., you bulldoze the garden. So as dumb as this idiot in Harrisburg that's running this thing is. Um, you can see where we make similar mistakes if we jump to conclusions too fast. Oh, God, I, you know, I, I, I left this out when I talked about the idiot. What you really need to understand, and you need to watch the video to do this, when she threw them out, they weren't protesting, they weren't being unruly. They had been recognized to speak. The man is the, the man that's talking when she says, "Remove them, remove them now!" Right when she did that, he's standing at the podium in front of the microphone. He had been given time to respond to her remarks. She threw them out not because they were being unruly or not following procedure. She threw them out because she didn't like what they had to say. That's how power trippy this this bitches, okay? I try not to say it, I can't. This is a bitch. This is a power-hungry bitch that needs to be thrown out of office, but I'm telling you, it's up to the people of Harrisburg to get rid of this bitch who's part of the bankruptcy that is Harrisburg. Anyway, uh, let's go on to another uh, piece of feedback. Let's do a little follow-up on what has been going on in Michigan and our fight alongside of Jessica Hudson. Uh, first, I want to tell you guys how much money was raised in about 72 hours to support the Hudsons and their goal to keep their animals on their farm, which we know is supported by the Michigan Right to Farm Act. As of right now, $10,563, and I know of at least one large donor who I know doesn't mind when his name is given out, so I will give out the name Bill Sutter. 
who always does just way more than I could ever expect anybody to do, who decided he didn't want to do it through pay PayPal, so he's mailed her a check for $750. So that puts this in over, you know, we know into the $11,000 range. So in 72 hours, this community, and I'll tell you right now that at this point, There's not a lot of press around this yet. People in this community are working to try to get her some. Not a lot of crap happens over the weekend. I would bet you that 95% or more of that money came from the TSP community to fight for food sovereignty in Michigan and make that local thuggery themselves, Williamston Township, abide by their own state law, i.e. the Michigan Right to Farm Act, which there is, again, recent case law out of Marquette County with a family that almost is the exact same model of what's going on here that says that the Right to Farm Act does protect them. So this council's in violation of state law. Um, so we're going to fight this. I think we're going to get her fully funded. And if we don't, I think that we've done enough now to kickstart the thing where others will come in and begin funding it. What I wanted to really follow up with you, because I think it'll make you feel good that you're a part of a community that's done this. And I think that even if you're in a position where you can't right now, or like me, you pick and choose your battles and say, you know what, I think this is a good thing, but this is not one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a different thing. Because we can't all do everything every year, right? I mean, that's we all have to pick and choose where we, we do this. Um, I don't think that even if you didn't donate, you shouldn't. You still feel good when you hear what I was able to tell the Lansing Journal in their response to one of our listeners. Um. Joseph DuPont, who is just a hell of a warrior in the fight for liberty and has always been hugely active with writing letters to the other editors and writing elected officials and things like that, wrote a letter to the editor of the Lansing State Journal, which is the, the newspaper that we learned about this from. The, let me read his, his letter to you. It was a real quick little letter to the other. Dear editor, first they wanted to arrest Julie Bass of Oak Park, Michigan for growing food in her front yard. Now the Salem witch burners of Williamston Township, Michigan, want to take away Jessica Hudson's ability to feed her allergy-sensitive children organic vegetables and meat. Whatever happened to our unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? It is amazing the zeal in which some public servants have in ruining unique and creative people's rights. I guess they are the product of the public school system and function like drones or robots. You know, I was just following orders mentality. Hopefully 60 Minutes or some other investigative program will expose this expanding mentality of control. Sincerely, Joseph DuPont. Again, I use his name because I know he's okay with it, and he wrote a letter to the editor that they decided not to, uh, to uh, publish. Well, he got a response back. And it said, thank you for your letter submission. Unfortunately, we cannot publish it for the following reason, colon. We generally do not print letters from outside or circulation area. It sounds like a form letter from somebody named Jane Higo, editorial assistant of the Lansing Journal. I did a reply all because I thought that something, maybe the Lansing Journal needs to know what the hell's going on. So you tell me if this doesn't make you proud to be part of this community when you hear what I was able to tell this person. Dear editors, I want you to know that a community of people who live outside of your circulation area just pumped over $10,000 into a legal fund inside your circulation area because we care. Perhaps that might be newsworthy to your readers. This all occurred in about 72 hours, and we're not stopping, by the way. The full story is here. There's a link to my blog post about this where I've asked you guys to help me. You can see the results of three days of this here on Jessica's fundraising page, and there's a link to her donation page where you can see the, the amount. Um, and then it says, my community learned of this outrage by the fine piece of journalism you did here. And there's a link to their original story. Perhaps you should do a follow-up. Perhaps you should ask the officials how they feel knowing 
What they are doing is so outrageous that people outside your circulation area have rallied against it. And and $10,000 was raised in a single weekend from all over the nation. Perhaps add in that this response is international with people contributing from Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, and the Eurozone. You know, call me crazy, but this seems like news to me. Ask the Hudson family how it feels to now know they are not alone. Ask the officials if it is worth blighting their township to oppress one family living in a rural area that happens to be part of their fiefdom. Ask them if they are aware of the Michigan Right to Farm Act and that they are currently in violation of Michigan state law. If you would like a comment from me for this story, I will make myself available as a representative of the community that is going to make damn sure this family lives that lives in your circulation area, doesn't lose this fight, and that this group of petty thugs running your township thinks long and hard before doing something like this again. You know, maybe if your readers realize that outsiders are rallying to support one of your own, they just might make the effort too. Because you know what? The reality is the people of this community that say they support this woman, and there's tons of them, should have been the ones leading the charge to make the donations, to defend these people, They and it's the, the local activities necessary. But you know what? I really believe that when we do something like we've done this weekend, and that's, I am so proud of you guys. I am so, so proud of you guys for that, that it does shine a light on it, and it does make people go, you know what? If somebody from Australia will chip in 25 bucks, Because because they want to support somebody that lives right in our backyard to do something that I find completely normal and acceptable, maybe I should step up and do something too. I believe that works, and I want to thank every single one of you and let you guys know uh, something else. Uh, Jessica emailed me and said that she's, she's been in tears multiple times this weekend and for the first time due to feeling good, that she can't believe that people that don't even know her would step up and do this. It's, it, it, she said it's the most amazing thing she's ever experienced. So I wanted you guys to know that as well. And I just wanted to give you a follow up on that one. And, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can to raise the funds to help this lady win her fight. We'll pay attention to the fight from there and we'll decide where we go next with, uh, with our efforts to make sure that people are not bullied this way. But in the end, I still say, I still say, folks, We've got to stand up at the local level and do this. This can't, this can't always be me leading the charge and you guys following and we're going in and we're going to hammer everybody. We can't do it everywhere. I don't have enough money. You don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We have to pick and choose our battles so that we gain this national recognition. Not for us. I want, I, I don't care if, if anybody pays attention to me. I really don't. I know some of you don't believe that, but I really don't. I want them to pay attention to Williamston Township and say, holy shit, if we do this in our neighborhood, it's like spinning a wheel. You, you might land in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you get international attention for the wrong reason, and we don't want that to be us. We need to be reasonable and use common sense and work through this stuff. Because there could have been a common sense solution to this. This never had it. This never had to happen. They could have worked with her. They, she tried to do everything they asked. They lied to her. They broke their word. They changed meetings because they were afraid she's going to show up with press. Oh, by the way, the ordinance in question, they took it down off the website when they knew they were getting attention for it. They didn't even want outsiders to read the ordinance, maybe because now they can change it behind closed doors. Who the hell knows? All I know is that we do need to stand up at the local level. 
Um, another quick little one. I want you guys to know I've just released a new video in the series that I've been doing on the contour-based wood bed gardens that I'm putting together. And this video that I released, I'll put a link in the show notes to you for you guys today, um, shows where we've actually removed about an inch to a half inch of soil all the way around the first bed in the system uh, and then gone back and mulched about three inches of deep wood mulch. So that wood mulch in the, in the contour flat uh, water collecting areas is now able to interlock with the wood mulch that's on the raised beds. Because a lot of you guys have been asking me, when you put that wood mulch on the raised bed, isn't it all just going to kind of fall off? And the answer is it won't. Some of it will erode, but mostly it'll stay. But if you watch the videos that I released yesterday, And you see how there's this deep mulching mat completely surrounding the bed, several feet out in front and in between all the beds. You start to realize how that wood will interlock. And you start to realize if you've ever worked with wood mulch and uh, you've had it in the, on the ground for a while and it's gotten wet and dry, wet and dry, wet and dry, the fungus start to grow in it and the fungal hyphae start to grow in it. It starts to stick and clump together. And you can still break through it real easy, but it becomes like a big carpet. And I think you'll start to see the carpet effect of this. And what was cool is yesterday my wife helped me and she shot the videos and she did a little bit of shoveling and all. And as I was showing it and explaining it to her, she finally, this is crazy because she's here for the whole thing. It's the first time she really got it. She goes, this is your design, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. She goes, this isn't something anybody else has ever done. I'm like, nope. I'm like, this is a piece that so-and-so did, this is a piece that so-and-so did, and this is my own thing, and this is all three of it coming together into a system. And she's like, this is pretty awesome. So, like, she could finally, want, and that's why I think a lot of you guys have been following it. It'll really click for you when you see this next step. It was when we put that wood mulch in and she looked at it, and she could see, well, this is what it's going to be like when it's done everywhere. There's going to be like this, you know, 10.15 acres of these beds and this huge layer of, you know, you know, 20 cubic yards of mulch probably by then put onto this and this whole water harvesting thing, not only how it would work, but really that I've never seen anything like this before. And the reality is you've seen plenty of things like this before, just not assembled this way. So check that out. I think it'll help a lot of you with your gardening efforts this year. So here's a really great question from Edwin. Edwin um, sent me some screenshots of the U.S. debt clock. Uh, from usdebtclark.org, but he didn't send them of the federal debt. He sent them of, because you can go down and see statistics on individual states. So he did California, New Jersey, Texas, Alaska, New York, Florida, New Hampshire. So those were the, the states that he sent me. And then this was his question. And boy, is this a great question because it really opens your eyes to the fact that there's more than just these base statistics when it comes to judging the economic health of a state. <clears throat> Hi, Jack. In a recent TSP episode, you stated the U.S. debt clock is pretty accurate with data and project predictions, usdebtclock.org. You also indicated several times that states like Texas and Alaska are in much better financial shape than states like California and New Jersey. However, when I look at the data below from the states mentioned, that I have the impression their situation is actually very similar. Debt-to-GDP ratio is about 20% everywhere. New York is 27%. The debt per citizen is about 1,100 everywhere. Or 11,000 everywhere. Alaska's 15,000. New York is 17,000. Florida, 8,000. In Florida, 19%. Texas, 17, 15%. Alaska, 13%. Have higher percentage of food stamp recipients than California, 11%. Or New Jersey, or New Jersey, 10%. Please care, clarify how the data from the U.S. dead clock may or may not confirm the strength of Texas and the alleged weakness of California. Thanks for the show. Edwin, well, I mean, we could start out with basic reality. 
how many people are moving from California to Texas versus the other way around, and it's an exodus. So you know that the people there are already hauling ass, and, and the, one of the main places that people are choosing to go when they leave California is Texas, another is Arizona. So you know the exodus. So that tells you that the ground reality is different uh, than the overall statistics. Let's look at the food stamps. Who pays for the food stamps? By and large, the federal government pays for the food stamps. So the food stamp percentage number, while an indicator of how many people are on assistance in a state, and that is a concern, definitely a concern, but let's face it, it doesn't matter if it's 10% or 15%, it's still a shitload of people in any state, and it's still the same type of concern, but it doesn't directly affect the state's budget. So that's not really an indicator that the state has any type of financial problem. Um, the, the real number that you need to know to be able to determine the future of the state's economic health is what's called the unfunded obligations. And while we can get that at the federal level, usdebtclock.org anyway, doesn't provide this at the state level. And this is where the real future problems of places like California, New York, and New Jersey lie. The government workers in these states have retirements that are insane. They're insane. I know if you work there and you're in the government, you're like, I deserve mine. I worked my 25 years or 30 years or whatever it is. And you can deserve it. You can have been promised it. But there's the old adage that some people just will not get through your head, their heads because they don't want to, frankly. They know it's true, but they don't want to believe it. You can't get blood from a stone. If you squeeze a stone hard enough, all you get is dust or gravel, depending on how it's squeezed in what way and how it's ground. right? But you don't get blood. Okay, so when there's no more money, there's no more money, there's no more money, you don't get no more money. You see how it works. So when you look at the retirements to state and county workers in states like California, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, okay, because of the heavy influence of unions there, their retirements are simply not sustainable. And this is where the big bankruptcy for these places are coming from. When they can no longer borrow enough money to pay those workers, that's when it will all fall apart. And if you look at the retirement for a person to retire from the state of Texas versus California, you'll see that the Texas state retirement, while I think actually in some ways it's probably a little got too much fat on it too in certain places, um, you'll see that it's much more reasonable and a hell of a lot more sustainable. So what's going to bankrupt these states is the, the pensions – and the retirements that they're not going to be able to afford to pay, in addition to the fact that they've created such an unattractive environment that their best citizens, their best companies are leaving. They're going away. So there's also that can't really be shown in the debt clock either. How many people freaking left California last year? And what type of people, when they, that you have people coming in there, who's showing up? And, and the more we see of this, the more we realize the bleak future. I mean, and another way to look at the in economic health is, well, what does it take to get the next year's budget in place? So you, you've seen plenty of stories on California having to stop programs, stall, tax the shit out of people, make deals because they weren't going to actually have a budget for the next year. They're out of, they were out of money. California just a year ago was out of money. They didn't have enough money to fund the government, and they had to figure out how to do it because states can only go so far with 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 this you know this this hell long ride into debt. California can't print dollars. 
They can borrow money, but only based on who will buy their bond. And the Fed doesn't step in and buy bonds when nobody else will, like it does at the federal level. So, so on some level, these states are curtailed in printing money, and the federal government's not going to pay for the, the, the retirement of a lifeguard getting a $200,000 a year retirement in the state of California. By the way, did you know that? Like the head lifeguard, like the supervisor of the whole lifeguard department in California has a, a retirement worth more than $200,000 a year. <laughs> Now look, I'm not saying lifeguards aren't necessary. I'm not saying if you work your ass off as a lifeguard and do 30 years and you're running the department, that you're not entitled to a good salary and a decent retirement. But shouldn't most of that retirement be your good salary used to, to do your own investments? Why should the state of California now pay you for another 30 years and give you all these medical benefits and everything like that. And even if you think everybody should have it, again, I think everybody should have a magical unicorn that farts rainbows and angels. And when it farts a rainbow, you're, it farts a rainbow for you, the freaking angel should climb up the rainbow, get on the back of the unicorn, and grant you three wishes. And every time you want three more wishes, you just ask your unicorn to fart another rainbow and angel. And then you can have that too. I think that would be nice. Well, what you should have or what should be isn't what is. And these states are headlong into bankruptcy because of these unfunded obligations, because of a declining tax base, because they're chasing away their best citizens. It's not just a debt-to-GDP ratio, because as far as the, the economic geniuses are concerned, you can have a debt-to-GDP ratio all the way up to 60% to 70%. It's still okay. And that's just nonsense. But the reality is it's not just debt to GDP, it's what is the ability to service the debt. That's the key. And what California keeps running into, and you're going to start to see New York and Illinois run into very shortly, is trouble servicing the debt because we have to turn the debt over every year. See, the, the debt, a piece of the debt comes due. We have to pay the interest and the principal, and then it's gone, and we don't have that money anymore, so we've got to get somebody else to buy new bonds and service the debt. A state like Texas, a state like Florida has no trouble servicing their debt. Florida's actually had some problems recently because of declining real estate values. But they're, they're running their state with enough common sense. And I met some teachers last time I was in Florida that were very upset that they were not getting their raise in their pension programs. And I talked to them. I said, would you rather not have a raise or not have a pension? And after I talked to him for a while, I realized that when you're in the public education system for 30 years, a lot of times, a lot of common sense just goes out of your brain. And I'm sorry to piss off teachers, but let me tell you something. Whenever we hear from a soldier who says, I am you know, ashamed of my government for doing this, somebody stands up and says, not every soldier is a hero. And you're right. Not every soldier is a hero. That doesn't mean that some of them aren't. Well, let me tell you something else, America, that we need to get through our heads if we're going to fix the problems we have. Not every freaking teacher is a hero either. <gasps> I can't believe you said that. Why is, why is being a teacher make you a hero? All right, because there's plenty of teachers, they get a job, they go to work, they follow their lesson plan, they do their job like every other hardworking American, and they're no more a hero than the postman. They're no more a hero than someone who runs a daycare center and looks after our children. They're no more a hero than every father and mother that runs their house consistent with good values and brings up fine, outstanding children. Are those people heroes? I'm sure they are to a degree, but a teacher is no bigger of a hero. Teaching American history the same way, five times a day to five different groups of kids for 30 years, doesn't make you a hero. Teaching them true American history, standing in the face of the academics that are trying to make you tell them a lie, to me that makes you a hero to me, and maybe not to somebody else. And even if they are heroes, 
You still can't fund retirements that aren't sustainable because unsustainable means not able to be sustained. And what I was trying to get across to these teachers from the state of Florida who were having a wonderful vacation right alongside of us on Sanibel Island and enjoying their retirement, you can't just get a raise every year because if you look around right now on this island that is inhabited by millionaires that are members of your state, you'll see countless properties for sale at maybe half of what they were for sale two years ago of, if you could find one for sale back then. And that's where the revenue comes for your state, and the money ain't there. And they said, well, it's still not right. And you just give up. You get Really, it's not right. How many things in the world are not right? And I said, it's whether you guys accept this or not, you should be happy that your pension's relatively safe in this, this state Because in a lot of other states, what, what those teachers are going to end up with long-term is half of what they were promised or maybe nothing. Because they'll be too stupid to make the deal that would keep them getting something. And I was told, you just don't understand. I then asked them if any of them taught advanced mathematics. It turned out none of them did. I asked them if any of them taught economics or accounting. It turned out none of them did. I said, well, maybe you should go find some of your fellow teachers that are fluent in mathematics, accounting, and economics and ask them to explain it to you because maybe you'll listen to one of your own. I'm sorry, i got to get back to fishing. That's a true story, by the way. Anyway, let's go on and take another one. Here's a big announcement for those of you that are fans of David Crawford and his novel, Lights Out. I told him I would put this out on today's show, so I'm just going to read his email to you. Jack, I hope this finds you doing well. It seems your podcast grows more popular every day. I really admire the job you've done with your brand and your dedication to getting the word out on preparedness. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. I wanted to let you know about a project I am neck deep in right now. I've sold the Lights Out movie rights to an independent producer, Travis Fox. Travis is a fellow prepper and the executive producer of the movie Remnants. Travis has the same passion for getting the word out that you and I do, and I'm extremely happy and honored to be working with him. He has a great crew, and they have pledged to stay true to the story as possible. In fact, Travis has given me final script approval and made me welcome on the set, something that never happens for writers. That does never happen for writers. And those of you out there who are working on projects that somebody in the media wants to do, that's what you need to ask for, final approval. If you don't have final approval, don't sell rights to anything. Uh, we are making a big announcement tomorrow that Lights Out will be made into two films. The crew is also pushing me to finish the sequel so we can make another film when these are successful. You can find more about the movie at LightsOutSaga.com. For bios on the crew, you can look at BugOutBagProductions.com. These guys are young, hungry, and talented. We're expecting to make a big splash with this announcement. 511 Tactical Novesk has signed a major, his major supporters. We have several other affiliate supporters. This is going to be a movie for preppers, made by preppers. If you think your audience would be interested in hearing more about the project, Travis and I would be honored to do an interview with you. Thanks for all of your time and support over the years. Sincerely, David Crawford. So there you go, guys. You can find out more about the movie at LightsOutSaga.com. If you've never read Lights Out, it's an amazing book uh, written as a piece of fan fiction, uh, one of the very first truly successful fan fiction novels. And David Crawford has a lesson for people out there today. When David wrote Lights Out, it was available for years for free in a PDF download. When he made it available as a book, he sold buttloads to people that already read the PDF. It's about giving before you take. If you really want to be profitable in the world, whether it's through growing things with permaculture or making money with economic activity, you have to sow if you want to reap. That's what David did. That's why he's having so much success today. 
And uh, I think that, that that is a lesson for a lot of people. How do I get something going? Sometimes it takes a real commitment. Years to write a book. Years of people reading it for free. Years of people saying, dude, if you'll publish a real book, I'll buy it. Years until you get to the point where you can actually do it. And then when you do it, all that you've done comes back to you. David deserves that level of success because he's worked really hard for it. And I'll tell you flat out, David Crawford is a salt-of-the-earth guy. I responded to David with the fact that I would make this announcement for him today. And the same thing I'll tell everybody that keeps saying, I want to be on the show. Go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on guests. There is a form. It's a detailed form. Don't skip any of the, the uh, stuff. Do a good job. Sell me on you. David doesn't have to, but I still want an outline for the, uh, for the interview. Fill it out. It'll hit submit. It'll come to us. Dorothy will look at it. Dorothy will vet it. Dorothy will get in touch with you if you're going to get booked, and Dorothy will book you into a time slot. Don't wait. I'm waiting. And I have some people say, I'm waiting until I'm more advanced with this. Don't wait, because right now we're booking people in June. That's right. I said June. So that means if you wait until next month, we'll be booking you in September. I promise you that's going to happen. We're going to actually have to start doing more interviews a week. We're going to have to start doing like two-hour shows on interview day sooner or later just to get all the great guests that we have on for you. But everybody's welcome, from well-known people like David Crawford to people that we've never heard before. If you have something interesting for this community, we can have you on. Just get in touch with us. If you know, if you know you're going to be a short segment, 15 to 30 minutes, include that in the notes section where you give us your bio, and we'll work you in somewhere. I really have a hard time when I book a guest, and I think they're going to get a full show out of them, and then they're like a 15-minute guest. You know, I try to milk out 30 minutes and then do 30 minutes on my own. If you're going to be a short segment, if that's all you want to do, tell us, because we can really easily pair you with somebody. I can call you a little later in the day, knock it out in 15 minutes, drop it in, bam, no skin off my nose, happy to do it. But that's how you get on the show, folks. Fill out the guest form. How about an easy, simple um, composting question? Robert says, hey, I started listening to your show in December. Absolutely love it. Wondering if I can compost orange peels. I'm just getting into the gardening again. I've never composted anything, but build a compost bin and plan to use it. I have three kids, and we go through a lot of fruit, and I would like to compost all of it, but I'm not sure about oranges. I would love to hear your thoughts. And thanks a lot for keep, keep fighting the good fight, brother. Sincerely, Robert. Okay, so orange peels get a bad rap because one thing we should not do with orange peels is give them to chickens because you wouldn't eat an orange peel, so a chicken won't eat an orange peel. Or we shouldn't give them to worms because worms generally only eat what you and I eat, and we don't eat orange peels, so they're not going to do that. And orange peels have orange oil in them, which can actually be a little bit toxic. And can act as an herbicide, a natural herbicide, but an herbicide. If you look up one of the best uh, organic ways to control fire ants, it's uh, a product called Antifuego. And it's primarily made up of, of, of several things, but one of the main ingredients is orange oil. So we have to say, well, how much oil is in an orange? And the reality is one orange doesn't have a lot of oil. That's why orange oil is pretty expensive stuff. And if you were going to try to compost like, you know, I don't know, a 32-gallon garbage can of orange peels as your, and that was going to be, you know, 50% of your compostables, I would probably say not to do it. But if you're running compost with clippings and manure and greens and browns and coffee grinds and banana peels and, and orange peels are a part of your compost, it's fine. They'll compost down just like anything else and they'll add unique things to what you're doing. So that's... That's definitely a yes, but it shouldn't be making up more than, I would say, 5% of your compostables to deal with some of the orange oil issues and things like that. Once it's all bound up and worked together, you get beneficial results from just about anything. 
um, other than pure toxins. So orange peels definitely can compost. Another way to use uh, citrus peels uh, for to get a lot of their mineral content out of them is to dry them and incinerate them and spread the ashes. Uh, that's actually a really good source of nutrients as well. Um, it's not something I would personally do, but I've read about, and it appears to be quite effective. Um, and it's a very fine ash, which means it gets a great deal of penetration into the ground, and that's with all citrus. And I would say this question applies to all citrus, but no citrus peels for your chickens, though it won't hurt because they just won't eat it, but definitely no citrus peel in your worm bin. Uh, the oil there can actually do some pretty heavy damage to your worms over time if you keep doing it. And again, they're not going to eat it. Um, and, and pretty much when you're dealing with any kind of uh, animal, animals aren't stupid. If they don't really need to be eating something, most of them won't eat it, especially if it's in a size where they have to kind of bite at it and get a piece out of it because then they have to taste it. The problem when you start feeding animals is when you feed them things that are already broken down small enough that they can just pick it up and swallow it. Sometimes, especially dogs and chickens being pretty damn dumb, I mean, the chicken brain's only so big, will eat things that can do them harm, but they probably aren't going to eat a big old orange peel Uh, but it's best just not to give it to them. Let's take another one. So let's stick with gardening for a bit. There's a little tip that came in. I'm going to try this product. Um, hi, Jack. I ran across a website the other day that sells fungi starters for garden. See below. I've heard you mention how the pathways created by fungi are essential to transporting plant nutrients. I'll be giving this a shot. This might be a good way to jump some, jump start some of my new raised bed gardens uh, that I've had to partly fill with bag soil from local big box store. Anyway, would appreciate any thoughts that you would have on this. There's a link that I'll include in today's show notes. But the product is called My MicroGrow, and it's M-Y-C-R-O, like micro, micro, microzolial uh, fungi. And uh, basically it's a product, and there's a guy with some pretty big onions on the front of it, that you mix up and you apply to your garden, and it helps establish fungal colonies uh, in your garden. Uh, it seems to me like it would work really good. There's products specifically for lawns and for vegetables. The vegetable one is a lot more expensive. I haven't dug deep into this yet, but I'm going to. And uh, I'm not saying go out and buy this stuff, but I am going to make you guys aware of it and tell you that anything that you can do to speed up the development of fungal nets in no-till gardens will make them vastly more effective. What we really need to understand is it's not just about nutrient transport, it's about water retention and water transport. And uh, basically, when you get enough of a fungal net built into soil, and if you have good fungal net in your soil, a cubic meter of soil, one cubic meter, so one meter by one meter by one meter, think about that, okay, will have 500 kilometers of fungal hyphae. That's around 280 miles, I think, 200, call it 250 miles. Right, So 250 miles. So we're talking about the distance from like Dallas to Houston of fungal hyphae in a cubic meter of soil. That's pretty dadgone impressive. So whatever you can do to increase that is going to improve the overall health of your system. Uh, people have this terror of fungus in the garden. You know, it's like 1% of funguses that are species-specific that are bad. And 99% of funguses, mushrooms, and funguses that grow within your, your mulch bed and things like that that are highly beneficial. So someone's so afraid of fungus, they go in and they use a fungicide, and they kill it all, and then next year they go, see, we need to do this because now I've got fungus on my plants that's killing them. That's because you've killed off all the other funguses, all the good ones. So you've left the, the tray wide open, and what do we learn about nature? 
Nature abhors a vacuum. If you eliminate something from a space and don't replace it with something else, nature will provide something for you. And ding, 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 with this massive game show called Mother Earth, you don't know what you're going to get. It could be good. It could be bad. You'll see. Your tomatoes will grow really big or they will shrivel and die. We don't know. But maybe if you don't mess with things and you stop screwing things up, Mother Nature eventually equalizes and levels things out and all of those problems just seem to go away. And remember, as you're troubleshooting program problems in your garden, just because you see something doesn't mean it's the villain, like the story of the pill bugs I told you earlier. And I think with that, we've got uh, the show wrapped up for the day. I want to remind you about some of our peripheral sites and sister sites, products, and things, ways you can get involved at a higher level with the TSP community. Remember to check out the TSP forum. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on forum, and you will meet some real-world preppers there that are just awesome people. Check out our Zello channel. You can find more about that. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on the Zello link, and you'll see uh, a group of links right at the top of the website um it'll be the center column it'll say connect with tsp and there'll be all types of ways you can either connect with me or other folks there check out 13skills.com if you are not a member of 13skills.com yet why not uh, all it is is improving your skill sets in 2013 our programmers working really hard on a new version of that site which is going to be a lot more interactive and give you a lot more interaction with other people allow for mentorship the rating and thanking of mentors uh, and a lot more recognition and for you blog There's a lot better ways to build your brand with other members of the community. And our big new initiative, walkingtofreedom.com. I went in today. There were 44 members pending. I approved all of you. So if you've applied for membership at the Walking to Freedom Forum, you should be approved. If you can't log in yet, email me, and I'll try to sort you out. Tell me what the username was you set up, and I'll see if I can find your problem for you. Uh, I do slow down sometimes and forget to go every day and approve new people there. If you've waited more than a couple days for Walking to Freedom, if you registered, let's say, today and two days from now you're still not approved, email me and remind me. I just forget. I have it on manual approval because the spammers have already started to show up to sell us pornography and Viagra, even though we have a website about Walking to Freedom. What is Walking to Freedom, you ask, if you've never heard of it before? It's the concept that there are about five states, maybe seven. We don't know yet. We'll see based on the disapproval voting who's at the bottom tier, and th those states will be targeted by all the other states to attract people to states with more liberty and freedom that are more in line with the way that they want to live. To teach people that while moving may seem hard, it is easier to rent a truck and make some new friends than it is to live in oppression. And the final act of, of real voting in a republic is voting with your feet. This is the Free State Project on steroids. Not everybody's going to go to New Hampshire or Wyoming or Texas, but I think if you live in Illinois or California or one of the other states on the new naughty list, there's probably some place you can go that will make it work for you and for your family. Not everybody can do it, but for those that want to, there's a community waiting to welcome you into any of the other states within your republic. Check us out today and be part of the voting. There's over 500 members of the forum already and only like 280 have voted. Uh, we want this to be a good democratic process. So if you haven't voted on the naughty list yet, please do so. With that, uh, I do have everything wrapped up for today. I want to thank you guys again for getting behind the effort to support the Hudson family in Michigan. As I always say, a fight for liberty anywhere is a fight for liberty everywhere. You keep fighting, I'll keep fighting, and sooner or later, we sure will in numbers, we will win the battle and we will all have liberty in our lives. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't.
Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution.